welcome to Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist. This is your host, Jenny Morrow, and I have both been looking forward to today's episode and feeling a little bit nervous about it. In some ways, this letter reflects some of the experiences I had and was going through about six years ago. So in some ways, it still feels like it's kind of close to me, and um, going through this letter just brought up some memories, and I actually am really looking forward today to discussing it, but I've definitely put it off. So I've had this letter in the queue for about seven months and kept wondering when I would feel ready to tackle it. And what I've decided to do is to bring on my first guest call today. And so I'm actually really excited about that part. And so today you're going to hear Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist with its first live guest. It's going to be the author of the letter that I'll be going through today. So before we get any more into the episode, I know it's been a while since I've been on and recorded, and that's not because I don't love doing this. It's mostly because I've been focusing on a few other things, and I'm just still really excited to be doing it. Um, I'm still planning to do episodes. I'm still planning to record. I am just balancing that with my own relationships in life and work and other projects I'm doing. So keep the feedback coming. If it's helpful, let me know. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a response on the blog. Keep me posted about what you're enjoying or not enjoying about the podcast. And also, if you have any questions, send them through to exmormontherapist at gmail.com. And I'm going to keep going through the ones I've got and the ones I'm getting. Other than that, I just want to mention a couple of announcements. One is that I've had a bit of a head cold this last week, and so I can feel a lot of clearing needed today. So, you know, that might be happening. Also, the other announcement is that on Friday, February 26th, we're going to have our second Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist gathering. And my goal is to do one each quarter. So last quarter's was awesome. It was a full house. We had a full group. And it will be from 7 to 10 p.m. that evening. It's a Friday evening. And the way it works is people come. We spend the first half hour eating some appetizers, just chatting, relaxing. And then we spend the next two to two and a half hours doing some introductions and then question and answers. So you can bring any questions that you have that evening or you can just be there to listen to others' questions. You can bring them anonymously by writing them down or you can come and just speak them out loud. And we go through and we talk about people's questions. So it should be a really fun evening. I do limit it to about 16 people max. And so... So if you are interested, email me at exmormontherapist at gmail.com and let me know your name and your email address and I can get you on the, the list and get you the information on how to register and hold your spot. Or you can also go to the website www.exmormontherapist.com to get the information there. So registration is $20 per person and or it's $15 if you come, um, $15 each if you're coming as a couple or two friends coming together, something like that. So either $20 per person if you come on your own or if you bring your spouse or friend or sibling, then it's $15 each. That is it for announcements. So let's get going on the episode. 
And the letter for this episode was titled Love and Sex for the Single Ex-Mormon. It was from Dateless in Salt Lake City. And so in her letter, she says, Dear Jenny, I am a 33-year-old single woman who left Mormonism about a year and a half ago. Although I no longer believe, I admit I primarily left because I knew I would not have marriage and children if I stayed. However, since leaving, I have yet to start dating. Instead, I find myself constantly crippled by fear that it's too late. Most people my age are partnered and have kids. This causes me to feel intense grief on a regular basis. I am also embarrassed about my lack of sexual experience, as I don't know how to explain this in the non-Mormon dating world. I have read books and taken a class on sex to educate myself, and I look forward to this part of life. But I seem to be paralyzed by fear when it comes to taking actual steps toward achieving this. Dating within Mormonism was very difficult for me, especially after a traumatic engagement that I broke off many years ago. My lack of dating and relationship success has chipped away at my confidence over the years. I always felt unchosen and unwanted by Mormon men, and I still carry that pain with me. I am glad for my great friends and family, and I have many interests and hobbies. However, I do want to find a life partner and possibly have children. I have tried suppressing this desire for a long time, but it's not going away. In fact, it is only getting stronger, to the point where I'm almost obsessed with it. As I am in the middle of a career change right now, therapy is not an option for me at this time. But I have done it in the past, and it helped me work through some of my previous relationship trauma. However, now I need to move forward and start dating, and I would like your thoughts on how to safely navigate sex and dating, and also how I can possibly restore some of the confidence I lost over the years. I would like to be as emotionally healthy as possible, because I know relationships are usually only successful when both partners are healthy and willing to do the work. Thanks for your thoughts. Dateless in Salt Lake City. So, I'm really excited to have Dateless in Salt Lake City on the episode today, on a live call, and so I'm going to go ahead and call through to her now. Hello? Hi, is this Dateless in Salt Lake? It is. Hi, this is Jenny Collin. Hi, Jenny. How's it going this morning? Good. Good. Can you hear me okay? I can, yep. And okay, all... great. Just wanted to make sure. Yep, it looks like everything is, is coming through good. Great. So I am re- I really am excited to have you on the call today. First live <laughs> caller. Um, so, yeah, so I actually just went ahead and I've read your letter to the audience. Okay. And so I just want to go through and have a conversation about this. And, okay. you know, I did mention on the podcast that I've had your letter in the queue for about seven months, mm-hmm. kind of waiting on it and wondering when I was going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And part of that, you know, comes from my own experience of having left the church in my early 30s and being single when I left as well. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of feelings around this, <clears throat> mm-hmm. a lot of things I feel strongly about and certain parts of the process I've done a lot of exploring and processing with. And so I'll be curious today as we go through this, um, you know, one of the things that was important to me is that that I really understand your experience, which might be different than mine in some ways, mm-hmm. which, which probably will be different than mine in some ways. So I was curious, you mentioned that since leaving, you have yet to start dating again. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And how long ago did you leave? 
Um, let's see. It was about two years ago, just a little over two years ago. Okay, that's right, because in your letter mm -hmm. you did say how long it had been. Okay, so it's been about two years. So yeah, tell me a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your experience with this. I think that you know, upon reflection, you know, it's become kind of clear to me that dating in the Mormon dating scene at some point became almost sort of traumatic for me, which kind of sounds—I don't know—maybe a little melodramatic, but. Um, but it was really, I mean, it was beyond frustrating. It was painful. And because I had such kind of unpleasant, at such an unpleasant experience, I think it's been really hard for me to, like, feel motivated to just go out there and start dating. Because while I realize Mormon men, <laughs> and no offense to any of those who may be listening, um, you know, might have... Um, particularly strong views on gender roles and certain things that non some non-Mormon men may not. I mean, and some might, I don't know, but, um, although I realize that. So, so yeah, it's, I, I mean, I've just kind of realized like I've become phobic about dating in general because it was such a like toxic experience for me in so many ways. Yeah, so this part I was really interested in. I mean, you talked about, you didn't use traumatic in the letter, at least to describe dating experiences, other than you talked about the, you talked about a traumatic engagement you had broken off many mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, but as you're reflecting on it now, you're saying, wow, it looks like, as I look back in time, the whole experience of dating included some traumatic, really kind of deeply painful to the point that they were experienced as traumatic experiences. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I mean, I, I just want to make it clear, it wasn't like I was, you know, assaulted or raped or anything like that. But, um, you know, it was more of a, it was more traumatic on an emotional level. Yeah, and so I guess um, this is where I'm curious yeah. for you, because I think, I think this can really be a reality. And so mm -hmm. I am curious for you, what, and, you know, you only have to go into any specifics that feel comfortable, but what about your experience or your perception of the Mormon dating world was traumatic? Yeah. Well, I, I should mention, I mean, I don't want to talk too much in detail about the engagement, but I, I should mention that it was a very um, toxic relationship. It was an emotionally abusive relationship. And so that certainly also affected how I felt, like how I perceived myself and dating afterward. And I mean, I was engaged at a very young age, as many Mormon girls are. Um, fortunately, I did not marry him, so I'm glad about that. But um, it kind of, you know, probably unfortunately shaped the way I, I dated mm -hmm. from then on. And... Um, but one thing that, that became really painful for me when I was in my, gosh, I would have been probably like 27, 28, so my late twenties, you know, and we all know that when you're a Mormon woman, like you're raised to think that landing a man is like, Hey, your prize for being righteous. And <laughs> this yeah. is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to 
get married and have kids and like that's your divine purpose and you can now be happy and fulfill your divine exactly exactly and and it's true that I mean at least in in the Mormon in the Mormon church women really do not have a status a social status unless you are partnered with a man and I became just really aware of of that reality in my late 20s and also facing kind of a hopeless feeling as far as dating was going because because it became increasingly difficult for me to find eligible partners. I didn't date a lot, which was part of what became traumatic for me. I, I started constantly doubting myself, like, you know, am I not attractive enough? Am I not, like spiritual enough like what is it about me that means that I cannot seem to find somebody and it became very difficult to um to feel motivated to keep trying because I I would be like you know I'm compete I, I'm, I'm competing against all of these women and you know it's a numbers game by the time you're in your late 20s and early 30s so, you know, you've got five girls to every guy, and I, I mean, I don't think that's the exact correct number, but I do know it's, you know, the women definitely are outnumbering the men by that point. In the singles that, wards or student wards, things like yeah, that. Yeah, in the yeah. singles wards, and and what, what happens is that really fosters an unhealthy dating environment for both the men and the women, because then the women become ultra-competitive with each other, and the men become, I don't wanna I don't wanna use the term pickier, but for lack of a better term, I'm going to say pickier because they have the advantage. Yeah. And it's just very interesting. I've been reading some anthropological studies where they are demonstrating, like you know, regardless of country and regardless of which is the dominant gender, so it could be women, wherever there's the fewer numbers, they do become more competitive with each other, and where there's the higher numbers they become less willing to commit because they have the options. And so, I mean, I think that certainly plays out in the Mormon dating scene, which, okay, if you're a single guy, great. <laughs> you can be 50 pounds overweight and still land, you know, a hot girl. But if you're a woman, it's, it's a terrible experience. It's painful. It's frustrating. And for me, I just felt like, gosh, there's this, you know, I was raised to think that, like, if I was righteous and, like, my, like, spiritual and doing all of these things, then, you know, someone would find that attractive and want to be with me. And when I was in my late 20s, I started realizing this isn't, this isn't the way it is at all. I mean, it's not about my spirituality. I think it's, much more about you know how do I look how you know how do I act like there's very strict gender codes and and I'll be honest I do fall I fall a little bit outside the the Mormon norm that way I'm I'm probably you know a standard deviation or so away from that because I am independent and outspoken and I'm a feminist and I'm proud of that and you know, I realized that was very unattractive to a lot of potential mates. And so what that, but what that did for me was it just shredded my self-confidence. 
Oof, yeah, and as you're talking about it, I mean, I'm just, well, I'm feeling like goosebumps right now as you're talking about it. Just the sense of, I guess, maybe connecting with, wow, what that experience is like to be in a situation where, you know, biologically, most of us will be drawn towards a relationship. Uh-huh. And yet here you are in this competitive environment. You're trying to figure uh-huh. out what gives you the advantage. And spirituality uh-huh. is kind of the thing that's talked about as being the most important thing. And yet ultimately there's all these other biological uh-huh. things at play, attraction right. and, and things like that. And then you've got the cultural stuff. And, and how that even could play into the biology. So, for example, for a woman who's in her late 20s and who has some feminist leanings or um, maybe even would describe herself as a feminist and mm-hmm. who has her own thoughts and opinions, you know, that mm-hmm. may look scary where, wow, we're supposed to follow a certain prescribed path. Right. And again, you know, it's interesting because we can all have different experiences around this, but I think one thing that becomes really important is to realize one of the facts, one of the realities is there are more women than men in the Mormon dating world, in the singles wards, as as the ages go up. Like, that is very much a reality and a fact. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. Yep. And so just having that experience can be very, very like you said, it can cause a lot of self-doubt and self and breaking down of self-confidence when it's so, mm-hmm. so sad. Cause as you say that, you know, the feeling is like, Oh, that feels so sad because it just seems so unnecessary. But in that world, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, it does. And you know, it's something that I'm definitely trying to work through now, but because there were so many years of that, of that experience, it's like, I don't know, it's like I'm still sort of stuck in that mindset. Yeah. Which is not, you know, it's not, it's definitely not helping me move on at all. It's kind of keeping me, like I said, it's made me more afraid to try dating. Although then we have also have, you know, the complications of like sex and okay well I'm a 33 year old virgin how do I explain that to someone and so there's just there's just all of these new I don't know factors to consider that make it that have made it difficult for me to move on even though I very much want to move on like I don't feel like I'm living an abundant life because I think for me an abundant life does include healthy relationships or, you know, the possibility of healthy relationships. And so by remaining stuck, I'm not, I'm not moving forward the way I would like to, but boy, it's difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. It can be very confusing. And Mm -hmm. so, um, tell me a little bit then about, um, so there's, you know, two kind of different, different pieces at play here and there might be others as well. Um, but kind of two main ones that come up. One is, just the trauma around dating and the emotional experience of it. But then there's the aspect of sex. Mm-hmm. And what is it like to be who I am and what I am and where I've been in my life and to date in my 30s. Right. While still being a virgin. Is that right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about um, what is your dating life right now like? Is it kind of like, mm, it just doesn't exist, I don't do it? Um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I don't exist. It doesn't exist. You know, I, I was working, um, 
full-time in a communications career up until about a year ago, and then I decided to make a career change, and so I quit my full-time job, and I went back for a second degree, hoping that it would get me into the graduate program I needed to do to pursue this new career, and so then that put me in a position where I was hanging out with basically with like 22-year-olds all day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not exactly my uh, cup of tea there, as far as dating goes, Mm -hmm. and and then, you know, I just haven't, I, I realize it's up to me to, like, make an effort. Like, I could sign up for an online dating site or go to meetups or something. You know, I realize there are things I can do. I just haven't done them. And I think, yeah, it's definitely part of that fear, or it is that fear that's holding me back. It's just that that self-doubt. Like, if I do this, am I going to have the same experience of just lots of rejection some humiliation, you know, things like that. So it really keeps me kind of stuck in this place, which I realize, you know, I need to kind of get over that. I'm I'm definitely a fan of, you know, if you have a terrible fear of flying, you have to get on an airplane. Like, you have to make yourself do it. (laughs) But it's not necessarily easy. And sometimes, like you said, the fear is big enough that the motivation or the desire goes down to actually take the steps. Right. Even though deep down the longing for the outcome is still there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. The the longing for the outcome is there. And, you know, we are so, like you said, we are so biologically, like, wired to be in relationships. And realizing that, you know, has helped me a lot in at least getting to the point that I'm at now where it's like when I first left, I felt almost kind of guilty, like, you know, I'm choosing not to be celibate for the rest of my life. I'm choosing to marry somebody who's not a Mormon. I'm choosing these things. And I almost felt a little guilt, like, hold on. And now I'm like, well, of course I couldn't hold on. It's a ridiculous expectation of anybody. (laughs) doesn't matter if you're straight or gay or whatever. Lifelong celibacy, unless you're choosing that for yourself, that's that's not realistic for most people. Mm. And so that's definitely helped me like make peace with, um, with where I'm at now, as far as like leaving and looking forward to building a different future for myself. Um, and so, and I'm curious, so I can kind of understand that piece a little bit more. mm -hmm. So you're saying when you, so you're saying when you left, There was a little bit of guilt around feeling like, okay, me leaving is me saying I'm choosing to not marry a Mormon man. Right. And I'm choosing to, did you say something about sex? Yeah, like I'm choosing to not live a celibate life. That's right. Okay, I'm choosing to not live a celibate life. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, as you say that, it's like, I mean, and again, I have sort of these nostalgic memories coming up of what that experience was like for me in terms of, you know, I had followed, quote, the rules. But, yeah, to leave and be a virgin in your 30s and realize that, wow, I've spent 30 years believing I will only have sex with one man, it will only be the person I marry, and to Uh leave and suddenly realize that, wow, I am most likely choosing an experience where that will not be the case. Right. It's It's a very strange experience. And so for you, you noticed a little bit of guilt coming up, but it also felt like that was an important part of your, your, I mean, because you said here, I admit I primarily left because I knew I would not have marriage and children if I stayed. Right. 
and that is true yeah so again like kind of both pieces can be there and I find that this is can be true for a lot of, of women I talk to in terms of sort of realizing that for the kind of relationship I want and this is not to say that those who married in the church were not able to develop this kind of relationship right 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 but for a lot of us dating in the Mormon paradigm did become painful enough that there was an awareness that, wow, in order to be myself fully, in order to really have my own voice and have the depth of relationship I want, I can no longer be in this paradigm. Right. Is that is that right? Oh, yeah, I absolutely experienced that. It's like I, it's like I said, I realized painfully in my late 20s ways that I was different from, like, Testimony Barbie. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, that's most ways, okay? <laughs> I don't look like Testimony Barbie. I don't act like Testimony Barbie. <laughs> and yet I could see that, and I don't, again, I'm mindful that um, some, you know, Mormon or ex-Mormon men may listen to this and feel offended. But I don't mean that. But I, I could see that the majority of the men around me wanted that. That's what they wanted was Testimony Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I realized I could not be that, and I didn't want to be that. I wanted to have a voice in my relationship. I wanted, I wanted an, an egalitarian relationship yes. and someone who could value me for more than just, you know, I, I mean, I wanted, like, my career options to matter in the relationship. I wanted, you know, two kids, not seven, you know, yes. <laughs> kind of some things that were outside of maybe the, the standard and then what's been culturally scripted as acceptable. And I knew at some point, well, I guess I knew even probably a year or two before I finally left, but I knew that that was not going to be available to me within the Mormon paradigm, like you said. And so I needed to leave. And once I, I mean, I actually stopped believing before I left, and there were many factors that led to my disbelief, not just my own personal experience, but, but yeah, it's still, I mean, it's still raw for me. Yeah. It's still painful. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, yeah, as you're talking about it today, um, what are you feeling right now as you're sharing and reflecting on your experiences with us? I think, well, I think that's a good question. I'm not sure. I kind of have mixed emotions. Like, there is still some sadness there. Okay. There's mm-hmm. also some hope of, you know, I guess, yeah, I, I keep thinking in my mind as I go through my life, like I'm trying to build a different future for myself than the one that I was prescribed. Mm-hmm. And that actually gives me a little bit of relief, a sense of relief. So, it, yeah, awesome. there's some, like some hope and some sadness and some relief and some <laughs> some pain, though, with the memories and, you know, like all Yeah, of kind of a mix. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and if you could see me now and if, you know, those listening could see me, I'm just nodding my head like, yeah, there is, you know, I can feel that as you're talking, like there is some sadness here and there's there's still some pain here. But there's also this hope because you're taking the steps and even if you haven't started dating again, you've taken some huge steps to beginning to put yourself into a space where you no longer have to play the game. Right. You don't have to play that game anymore. Right. 
And, you know, again, dating has its own things and, and we all have to face our own fears of dating and our own fears of intimacy, um, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately to find the kind of relationship we want to have. We could have a relationship and marry someone, but to have the kind of intimacy we deeply want emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, there, there is some work to be done Mm -hmm. for ourselves where we learn how to become more comfortable with our own authentic self so that we don't have to hide it or doubt it um, or defend it. And I think this is part of what makes me feel excited for you and kind of was nodding my head when you were talking about the hope is it's like, yeah, you really are moving into a space where, you know, my hope is that you'll be able to feel like, oh, this dating thing, you know, there's going to be guys in or out of Mormonism who will be okay with a woman who has a voice. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's a little easier sometimes to find that when there's not a paradigm overlaid right. with certain expectations. And um, yeah, I just feel really excited for you, even though it still feels scary and painful. Yeah, it's taking me a long time. I think I had this you know, fantasy when I left the church that I would suddenly be like, healed and whole mm-hmm. <laughs> and be able to go out there and take on the world and do everything that I wanted to do that I didn't feel was acceptable for me as a Mormon woman. And what I found instead is that the process has been agonizingly slow for me uh-huh. um, and gradual and <laughs> which isn't necessarily, I mean, it's not a bad thing. And I, I know for like just personality wise, I'm a very like methodical person when I make decisions. So I'm not, I'm not the type that's just going to be like, yeah, I'm going to buy a car today. I'm the type that's like, I'm going to research, you know, what kind of car for like quite a while. And then when I'm finally ready, I will buy a car. (laughs) And I'm sure that like my, you know, getting ready for dating is the same way. Um, but there's just that like nagging self-doubt, I think, that's been really difficult for me to overcome. There's still that fear of like, but what if it's too late now? What if there aren't any eligible partners because I'm in my 30s, not my 20s? And, you know, the what if, what if, what if. Oh, yeah, the stories, yes. Yeah. And, you know, and ultimately, and I'll give um, and link on here as well some of my favorite dating coaches and and people with dating perspectives because even if you're not in a position to do one-on-one therapy there are some great programs out there that people have put together um that would be a little bit you know less expensive than one-on-one therapy and for anyone listening there are some great programs out there to help us do work around the subconscious blocks we have around intimacy Uh as well as just the conscious you know actions that need to be taken Uh And so, yeah, often, you know, when we're bumping up against these barriers, one of the things that can sometimes be helpful is just breathing with all of it and noticing, you know, for whatever reason, some of it may be from past traumatic experiences, some of it may be from very subtle things I picked up watching my own parents' marriage, you know, from whatever, whatever, wherever it came from, there can be fears of what it is we're really longing for in life. Either uh-huh. fears that it's not possible to have the kind of relationship I want, I don't deserve it, um, uh-huh. or it's not safe, it will hurt me. Um, so there can be really uh-huh. subconscious blocks around a relationship, even though we, we have a great desire for it. 
because of things we've been through or seen or experienced. Right. Yeah. And so I, I love that even though it's taking time and even though it's moving slower than you wanted it to, you know, I love that you wrote in the letter because that that's good information that, wow, I was willing to take a risk. <laughs> and then you were willing to talk to me on the call today um, so that people can hear your voice live. And so, you know, I think even though it's moving slow, letting yourself notice, I am I am at this point letting myself be aware of this desire and want. And I know you said at one point that you have tried to suppress the desire for a long time. And that's yeah. okay. That can be a part of the process of dealing with the hurt and the pain. But for whatever reason now, you know, you're in a space where you were willing to write a letter about it. You're willing to have a conversation about it. And I think that is good information that there's movement for you. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that's true. And, you know, it's good that you bring up that point. Acknowledging that I had that desire was huge for me because, again, within that paradigm, I feel like, you know, if you're single at a certain age or if you're gay or, you know, divorced and no prospects or whatever it may be, there's kind of this, um, there's this myth that's perpetuated, which is, church membership is enough and you don't need connection with another person, like in the form of an intimate relationship. Yeah. And while that may be true for some who actively choose that, I don't want to dismiss their experiences of choosing that for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> suppression is the only way we can get through. Yes. You just have to like bury that desire as much as you can. But the but the problem for me, at least, was I couldn't. It was always creeping up in unexpected ways. You know, I would be at, um, you know, a friend's baby shower or something, and I would suddenly start crying. Or, you know, it was just, it was starting to eat me alive. But I kept telling myself, no, no, like, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do, and this will make me happy in the long run. And, you know, I really bought into that myth for a while. And yeah. so when I left and I was just free to acknowledge, well, even before I left, when I was free to acknowledge that, like, no, this is a desire that I have and it's a natural and healthy and normal desire. And I want to pursue, you know, a life where this desire could come to fruition. That was huge for me. Yes. And, you know, any Mormons listening to this might have a sense of, well, you can. You get married, and then you get to experience that desire. But it's really important for those listening, you know, to understand that for those of us who who got into our late 20s and early 30s and were in the dating world still, things – it's different than when you're in your early 20s. It's a different mm -hmm. kind of experience. And Absolutely. Yep. And like you said, you're in this more competitive realm – and I think also there's a little bit of awareness after having dated, you know, through your teen, late teens and early 20s and mid 20s, you know, there's an awareness on some level of how intimacy works. So when, mm -hmm. when you're younger and you're dating, if you get married in your early 20s, it's a different kind of experience than, um, you know, my guess is for those who do that, then they get in the marriage and they start to realize either it flows and maybe it's great, but but also another option is, wow, this isn't quite what I expected. And 
you know, either way, we're all learning about intimacy as we move forward into our mid-20s, into our late-20s. We're all, we're all starting to learn that, you know, whatever these fantasies or ideals we had um, may not be exactly what we expected. But the, again, the longing for deep connection doesn't go away. And so, I don't know, as you're talking, I guess the feeling I'm having is, is I can feel a sort of longing here to really have that be understood and and it might not be understood by everyone, but I also want those who are already married to know, like, I see, I see you. I see all of us. And this became really important for me to understand was I am working on intimacy, whether I'm in a relationship or not. Like, I am working right. on literally romantic intimacy. We are always working out intimacy in different areas. But, you know, we're always working out romantic intimacy, even if it's just being suppressed for a period of time. And so, you know, when you get into your early 30s and all of a sudden this became very clear for me. And actually, I would say it didn't become clear for me until I started dating post-Mormonism. And I started having relationships that included sexual intimacy as well as emotional intimacy. And I started to realize at that point that there was a part of me that had always wanted to be able to include the two as I was dating. Uh-huh. And I had always suppressed it throughout my dating or I had felt guilty or, you know, I'd, I would date a Mormon guy and we would, quote, go too far and, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. and going too yeah. far now, just imagining what that even, it was just these little things that I would feel so guilty about and how that really blocked development of intimacy because there was this continual power struggle between the desire to explore relationships emotionally and physically and then this guilt that would come in. Mm-hmm. And so when you leave, you really have this space that opens way up and it can feel it can feel very scary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so for and anyone out there listening. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um and so I guess you know as as you kind of think about all these different pieces and as you're, as you're talking about them, is there any, any questions that pop up for you? Well, you know, as we've been talking, I do wonder like how unusual is my experience? And maybe you don't know, but I, I'm guessing you do know other single women who have maybe gone through this and, and I would just be interested in your perspective on kind of what, yeah. Well, I don't. I, there is no way to define normal. Like the indi- experience is so individual, you can't like label it as normal. Right. But like average, maybe. Yeah. You know, well, as is you're my t- experience out of the. Is it out of the average experience? You know what I'm trying to yes. say. I'm not articulating it well. No, but. you're articulating <laughs> it great. And my my sense <laughs> is that it's it's very normal. And mm-hmm. I mean, at first when we were talking, and I you were saying you hadn't started dating yet, and I, you know, kind of thought, oh, I wonder, I wonder why not. But then as you're, you know, as you're asking this question and I'm reflecting back six years ago, seven years ago when I started leaving, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I took a few years off of dating Mm -hmm. because it was so overwhelming to me to manage the transition I was going through with the religious stuff Mm -hmm. as well as how to, how to show up in the dating world without just being terrified Right. And so I would say really trusting that, yeah, it is normal. And, and, you know, there was maybe, especially before I left Mormonism, 
was especially when I actually stopped dating because I felt like I want to I want to know where I am with this mm-hmm. so that I can be more clear with the partner. But again, mm-hmm. I don't know that that matters. Some partners might be okay with you being ambivalent or whatever. So there's no right or wrong here. It's just interesting to notice where each of us needs space mm-hmm. to go slower and where each of us start to feel ready. So as I say that about me, I'm also thinking about the other single women I have worked with in my therapy office or um, also the other single women I've had as friends. And I am thinking about the women I have as friends who are in their 30s who have left Mormonism. And I would say for all of them, there have been transition periods. Yeah. You know, and some longer than others, but some that were at least at least a couple of years before they felt ready to go back into the dating world. Yeah, that's really helpful for me that, to know that, actually. Awesome. That's I th- really good, yeah. Yeah, I think really trusting this whole process of shifting faith perspectives is a big deal mm-hmm. because it's how, you know, it was how we navigated our decisions in our life. And so to move into a place where we're deciding what paradigm do I want to live on? What are my values? You know, and we want, most of us want to pick a partner from some clarity within that, you know? Right. Absolutely. And so I think, but then I think, you know, and the fear is such a big thing too. It's just religious transition for a lot of us, not everyone, but religious transition for a lot of us, if we were really involved in it is somewhat traumatic on its own. Mm-hmm. And I think really honoring that. And I, I mean, as I talked to you today, you seem to be such a clear-headed, articulate person with, you know, a curiosity about yourself and the world. And I just think, oh, I have a feeling you're going to make a really good partner for someone. And you're oh, going thanks. to, yeah, <laughs> and that you're going to find someone who doesn't need you to fit into some kind of bubble, you know, or doesn't mm-hmm. need you to fit into some kind of mold that's not you. And so I feel really excited for you that you're on this journey and that you you won't have to you won't have to suppress yourself to be in a great relationship. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That like makes me feel good. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I, I need that hope. So thank you. You are welcome. <laughs> and I agree. We you know we really do. We all need that hope. And I guess my hope is like you know for any who may be listening to this who are in a similar situation, like, I just wanted them to know, like, you're not alone in this process. And it seems like when you leave, most of the resources are for married couples, which I mean, those absolutely need to be there. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But there just aren't very many resources for singles who are leaving, especially older singles. Yep. And so I just kind of I hope that other people can like feel, you know, who may have had similar experiences as as me can also feel like, no, there's like hope for all of us. I think you're right. I think there is so much hope for anyone who wants a relationship. We'll throw this out there. Maybe, um, you know, when I do enter a dating world, start meeting people, maybe I'll have to do a follow-up letter and... (laughs) I would love that. I can even do a follow-up call and you can tell us more details. Okay, we'll do it. Awesome. Oh, Dateless in Salt Lake, good luck with everything. Thanks. I'm really excited for you and um, I'll be looking forward to a follow-up letter one day. Okay, sounds great. Okay, take care. Okay, thanks Jenny. Bye-bye. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Wow, I am just feeling really glad that Dateless in Salt Lake felt comfortable and was able to come on the call today. 
And just getting to know more about her unique situation felt really helpful for me. So Dateless and Salt Lake, thank you so much again for doing that for us. And hopefully it was helpful for all of you as well to get more perspective on her letter. So I want to spend a little bit more time addressing the questions that she asked in her letter and maybe even addressing a couple of the things that she said there on that live call. You know, when we have lived under someone else's rules for sexuality and someone else's rules for relationship roles and that someone else's framework stops guiding our decision making, it can feel really confusing to sort out which parts of this experience do I want to maintain and which parts do I not want to maintain and why? You know, what do I want to experience in my life and what will be most effective in creating that experience? And in some ways, the rules of the framework we, we were using might have been effective in certain ways and from certain contexts. And so it can feel confusing when there's not the same kind of structure and even, you know, quote, rigidity, because suddenly we're wondering what's flexible, what's not flexible, what's absolute, what's not absolute. And it can throw us into a lot of fear, confusion, Sometimes we just go numb or freeze or shut down. So those can all be responses to this confusion about how to create what we really want out of our life. So sexuality is a really tricky one, especially coming from Mormonism or any kind of more fundamental um, or more orthodox religion where sexuality had very strict black and white rules. Because sexuality in those frameworks is actually seen as a very strong issue in terms of rightness, wrongness, worthiness, not worthiness, pureness, dirtiness. And so it can feel very confusing. Even though Dateless and Salt Lake and I were talking specifically about women in this letter, her unique experience as a woman, and because we were talking about her unique experience as a single person, I want to acknowledge that these questions that come up around sexuality and these wonderings and or confusions that can come up around sexuality spans across the board of both genders. It can feel confusing for both men and women. And it also spans across the board of not only single people, but people in relationships, people in marriages. And I have worked with, you know, quite a few couples who are trying to navigate what does this religious change for us mean in terms of our sexuality. For some couples, it's very, very clear. For some couples, they feel very satisfied in their relationship sexually, emotionally. Um, they may have regrets that, wow, I didn't get to explore that growing up, or they may not. But despite having regrets or not having regrets, it may still feel very clear that at this point, I still know this is the partner I want to be in a monogamous relationship with. Some people start to question whether they want to be in a monogamous relationship. So I do want to acknowledge that everyone is included in this conversation, even though we've been specifically talking in this letter and in this woman's experience about a female experience and a single person's experience. One thing Dateless in Salt Lake mentioned was she said, because it was so many years, I'm still sort of stuck in that mindset. And she was talking specifically about the mindset she had around dating. And I don't remember if we were talking about sexuality at that point. But either way, it becomes helpful for us to realize that, yes, this really is a process. One of the things that seemed to strike Dateless and Salt Lake the most in our conversation was just the space that it really is okay for this to take some time, that her experience is not abnormal, 
and I really do believe that. I do not believe her experience is abnormal. When our when our mind frame has been within a certain context for a lot of years, we can make a change, we can make a transition, and that is a hugely important step. But it doesn't change overnight, and we can stay sort of, you know, quote, stuck in a certain mindset. So when is sex helpful in a relationship pre-marriage, or is it ever helpful? Or if I'm already married, do I... Do I want to have those kinds of experiences with other people sexually? Or am I satisfied enough in my relationship that I feel comfortable staying in it as it is? It can feel confusing when we're still sort of, quote, stuck in certain mindsets. So it's a balance between letting ourselves open up, think about things, research things, talk to people about things, and then also letting ourselves back away get quiet, check in, see what feels good, see what doesn't feel good, see what feels scary, see what feels, see what we feel averse to, aversive to, see what we feel drawn to. And sometimes our emotions don't mean exactly what we think they mean, but at least that's a good starting place. At least we're just starting to go through the process of gathering more information and then pay attention to how we feel about that information. Because again, our feelings are often good compasses to what we want out of life. They're not necessarily information about external truths. Figuring out what we want after being in a situation that says, this is what you want. You definitely want to wait until marriage to have sex because it will lead to this and this and this outcome. It will lead to a better sexual life when you're in a marriage. It will lead to greater chances for fidelity, You know, I mean, whatever stories we were told about why we want to wait to have sex, some of those may be accurate or they may be inaccurate. And even if they were accurate, that might be true of the bell curve, but it may not be true of all the outliers. So all we can do is go through the process of exploring, researching, experimenting, and trying to find a way to do that as safely as possible and as tuned into ourselves as possible. So Dateless and Salt Lake, you asked at the end of the letter, You said, I would like your thoughts on how to safely navigate sex and dating, and also how I can possibly restore some of the confidence I lost over the years. And I would say, Dateless and Salt Lake, I really do think you are on a good path to doing this. At one point, Dateless and Salt Lake said, I realized that I wanted to be valued for more than, you know, dot, dot, dot. She went on to some things. She said, "I I wanted my career options to matter. And that... When she said it, it was like, oh, yeah, I want to have a voice. I want to be able to have an opinion, and those things matter, and I want to be valued for that. And so this becomes a chance for us to take time to focus on, you know, where do we value ourselves for more than just being, quote, the righteous, good, good boy, good girl, you know? Where do we value ourselves more than that? Where do we value ourselves more than just a righteous person? person who serves and sacrifices and gives and gives and gives. And if that's enough for us, if that is satisfying and it's not making us sick and it's not causing us problems in our lives, then great. But if we're longing for to be valued for more than we feel like we currently are, then we first get to start looking at where am I valuing myself for more than just those things, for more than, quote, being testimony Barbie, where am I valuing myself more than that? Or for, for men in the church, you know, where do I value myself for more than just being the, quote, provider or the paycheck? And if we're struggling to value ourselves for more than that, that's where we're going to keep feeling the breakdown of confidence. And that's where we can also start to rebuild confidence 
And again, I will say this is true whether you are single and looking for life, partner, or marriage, or whether you're already in a marriage. It's checking in with ourselves over and over and over. If I'm longing to be valued for these things, am I, am I first and foremost valuing myself for that? And if I'm still doubting that that's enough, if I'm still doubting or thinking that maybe I do need to fit into that box to be desirable, that's just something to pay attention to. It's something to sit with really, really quietly and look at where did I pick that belief up? What am I afraid is going to happen if I let that belief go? If I decide that I want to value myself for more than being a righteous woman who doesn't speak too much, you know, if I want to value myself for more than that, or for men, if I want to value myself for more than being the righteous priesthood holder who brings home a paycheck or who does all of his home teaching, if I want to be valued for more than that, how do I begin to talk to myself? How do I begin to compassionately validate that desire? Because again, it's neither right or wrong or good or bad. It just is what it is. And all of these things are compasses to what kind of a life do I want? Not what kind of a life does anyone else need to have? It's that individuation process of saying, I'm willing to own my own feelings and my own desires and my own thoughts. And I'm also willing to give you yours. So I'm kind of going off into just a lot of different things, but you know, just coming back to that part about restoring some of the confidence you lost over the years, Dateless in Salt Lake, and for anyone else who can connect with that, it's really going to be a lot of building up. It's really going to be a lot of repetition in terms of reminding yourself what you really feel and think. And if that changes, then you can adjust it. So, you know, if you're if you're saying to yourself, I give myself permission to want to be valued for a career. I give myself permission to want to be valued for a career as well as other things. I hope that maybe gives some ideas in terms of how to restore some of the confidence that you lost over the years, Stateless in Salt Lake, and for anyone else as well. My sense is it's going to be a lot of compassion that, oh, no wonder I lost my confidence. I didn't know how to hold it. I didn't know how to hold it amidst all of these messages. And good for me that I've left an environment where those messages are going to be so prevalent. They might still be around in my family or friends or in the state I live in. But, you know, again, when we've taken the steps to at least remove ourselves from where it's just bombarding us, that's a huge step. Because then we get to start to reinforce and remind ourselves what what we want to have bring us confidence. And that doesn't mean that you have to pretend or go numb. This is a really hard part when people are starting to explore sexuality, especially because they'll say something like, well, I want to have the confidence to have a relationship that includes sexuality before marriage, but then they start dating or sexuality comes up and it feels so terrifying. We kind of retreat back into our shell. So we get kind of passive and I don't know if I can feel confident in that. I feel bad. I feel dirty. I feel wrong. Or we get more aggressive because we don't want to feel that conflict. And so We pretend that we don't feel bad. We pretend we don't feel dirty. We pretend we don't feel wrong and we get more aggressive sexually, maybe a little bit more promiscuous than we want to be ultimately. And either response is okay as we're going through the process. Hopefully we do it as safely as possible in terms of safe sex practices. Or if we're retreating and withdrawing away from sex, you know, hopefully we're doing that as safely as possible in terms of having somewhere to talk about that with and not just retreating and and never facing it again 
But ultimately, as we're rebuilding confidence, it's true that there's going to often be a conflict between our own inner voice and what genuinely feels right to us in terms of what we want to try, experiment, explore with, and then other people's perspectives and opinions about it, including the perspectives of the religion that we grew up in. And so one of the reasons I did feel nervous about doing this episode is because when I transitioned out of Mormonism, I went through my own fears about sexuality in a relationship before marriage. I also was facing my desire to have that be something that was going to be available to me with someone I was dating before I was married. So, you know, I had a lot of internal conflict initially coming out of religion myself. And so this episode felt a little scary to do, partly because I want to bring things forward that can serve the listeners here, and I also don't want to bring forward things that aren't helpful or that tell you too much about my story that might block you from your own story. But I will say that there are times I did a little bit of both in my own process of getting clear on what I wanted with sexuality and relationships. There were times I withdrew and just didn't want to face it. I didn't want to date. I didn't want to be in relationships with people who weren't Mormon. Even after I initially left, there was a lot of fears about that. And a couple of people that I dated can tell you about my fears and my tears that came up in moments where I felt like I don't know how to handle this much confusion and conflict within my own self. And the confusion wasn't just about sex. It could have been about different aspects of dating in general. So I remember getting asked out to go to an arts festival on a Sunday. And I actually cried on the way home in his car because I was feeling so sad about the internal conflict I was experiencing. Or I remember going on a date and someone ordering a beer the first time for themselves and just feeling anxious about it. So there was a process that happened, and it did include some pulling back and withdrawing, and it also included some more aggressive experiences in terms of of being aggressive in my own mind or berating myself for my own sensitivities, believing I should be okay with shitty behavior in order to keep a relationship going, in order to keep a relationship alive, or pushing myself into sexual encounters that I wasn't really interested in. And I would say I'd vacillated back and forth between those two reactions and also had moments of touching my awareness of what it was I was wanting that was really neither of those polarities but was a more authentic expression of sexuality for me within a relationship. So it's learning how to have our experiences and learning how to reflect and get the information about what that means for us. So I think... I really do believe it's so huge for us to give ourselves permission to go as slow as we need to go. And we can use going slow as a distraction as well. And when we notice that, we can give ourselves permission to speed up a little bit. And it's just, it's always finding that balance. And, you know, there's just, life is so moving and alive and it's so breathing and it has different aspects and experiences and contexts. And yet it is important for us to also feel grounded and safe for us to feel like we have some kind of something that we can lean into. And when that was the LDS church's rules, we have to replace that with something else if that's no longer the space you're in. And I would say trust over time that you can actually find the groundedness within your own mindfulness practices. 
that you can stay grounded moment to moment to where you are moment to moment. Dayless in Salt Lake, I send you all the best as you're going through this process. And I feel really excited for you. And I feel really excited for anyone who's facing this stuff. So I'll look forward to hearing how it goes. Take care.